I'm preaching a series of sermons uh, entitled One-on-One with Jesus. It's from John chapter 3, and it's all about the story of a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus late one night asking him some really important questions. Their nocturnal conversation touched on uh, heaven and hell and snakes and wind and eternal life. And uh, Jesus made a statement to Nicodemus that uh, is probably the most important thing Nicodemus had ever heard in his entire life. And I know it is the most important statement that you will hear today. It's found right there in John chapter 3, and it is verse 3. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I read that out of the New King James Version. Out of the NIV, it reads like this. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word and by your spirit. We thank you for the awesome service that we've experienced so far. And right now we pray that you would take control of our minds and our hearts and speak this word into our soul. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure we all have uh, our favorite preachers, uh, preachers we enjoy listening to. I know I have a short list of of guys I think are really good, and, and I'll listen to them at any time. There have been great preachers throughout history. Uh, some of them we only read about or can only read their sermons because uh, recordings weren't available when they preached. For example, one of the greatest preachers of all times was the Anglican evangelist named George Whitfield. Most of his preaching was out of doors, and he could hold crowds of 30 to 40,000 people spellbound without microphones or amplification. He preached three or four times a day from the age of 22 until his death at age 55. He visited the American colonies on seven different occasions. On his last visit, Benjamin Randall was converted, who later founded the northern branch of our own Free Will Baptist denomination. The theme of Whitfield's preaching was this, you must be born again. Through this verse, he came to know Jesus as his Savior, and one of his very first acts as a new Christian was to write a letter to his family in which he said, I have found that there is such a thing as the new birth. He preached the new birth in the Indian villages of Delaware. He preached the new birth to the black slaves in the Caribbean islands. He preached John 3.3 to thousands in the fields of Scotland. He preached the same message in the drawing rooms of the British elite. He wrote to his friend Benjamin Franklin, As you have made such progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity, I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mysteries of the new birth. For 30 years, he preached day and night on the theme, You Must Be Born Again. In one of his final sermons, he told a large crowd in New England, I am now 55 years of age, and I tell you that I am more convinced than ever that the truth of the new birth 
is a revelation from God Himself. And that without it, you can never be saved by Jesus Christ. Why, Mr. Whitfield, a friend once asked, why do you so often preach you must be born again? Because, Whitfield said, because you must be born again. That was the essence of his preaching. And really, that, that's the essence of my message today. Jesus coined that little phrase, born again, while talking to Nicodemus. Christ said, in effect, to Nicodemus, what we learned last week, Nicodemus, you are well-educated. You are wealthy. You are influential. You are very religious. Yet you are empty on the inside. Nicodemus was a whole lot like we are. He tried everything else. He had money, power, education. He had religion. Yet there was this huge part in his soul that nothing in this world could fill. So he came to Jesus that night seeking an answer to the emptiness in his life. Jesus took one look at him and said, Here's what you need, Nicodemus. You must be born again. That's it. You must be born again. Yeah, I, I read that and, and, and I ask, why didn't Jesus say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be saved. Or, Nicodemus, you need to have your sins forgiven. Or, Nicodemus, you need to confess your sins. Why, why did Jesus say to him, you must be born again? Well, to answer that, we've got to ask another question. How is being saved like being born? That's the real question. The phrase born again is a figure of speech comparing the beginnings of the Christian life with the beginnings of human life. So how then is the process of salvation like the birthing process? Well, I've got four points of comparison I want to share with you. Are you as excited about this as I am? I'm pumped about it. Here it is. Point of comparison number one between being born again and being born. The new birth is an instantaneous event that is preceded by a period of gestation. Birth is instantaneous. One moment you are unborn, bam! The next moment you're born. It's pretty incredible. I've had the privilege of being in the hospital room when all three of my children were born. Whitney was born in Pine Bluff. Callie was born in Plano, Texas. Zane was born right here in Fort Smith at Mercy Hospital. It, it is an incredible thing to see your babies come into this world. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, I, I don't know if it's that incredible for mamas, but I tell you, for daddies watching, it is, it is awesome. I didn't tell the first service this, but I'm on a roll, so let me tell you. I'll never forget when Zane was born right here in, in Fort Smith. Uh, Angie was in labor. She was, it was hard labor. Uh, nurses were working with her. I was, I was dutifully sitting in a chair beside her bed, caressing her hand, telling her it's okay. Breathe, baby, breathe. You know, that kind of stuff. The doctor came in. Uh, he's since retired. I'm not going to tell you his name. I called him Dr. B uh, for the longest time, but he came in. Apparently, he had been delivering babies all day long, and it was in the evening at this point. And he sat down in the chair beside me. It's one of those reclining chairs, and he just kind of kicked back. Well, Miss Angie's in hard labor, and she looks over at me, and she looks at him. She looks at me. She looks at him. She looks at me, and she says, 
Is he asleep? Set your hand, that's it. Yes, baby, but he's had a hard day. You let him sleep. Everything is going to be okay. And you know what? It was that night an F1 tornado came through Fort Smith. Not just Zane Harmon. I mean, there was a literal tornado that, that came through. But you know what? Here's what I remember about all three of my kids being born. At, at the moment they were born, there was a nurse in the room that recorded the exact time that that baby came into this world because that's important to know. Likewise, there is a specific moment when a person is born again. Some people, especially those saved in childhood, may not remember the exact day or the exact moment of their conversion. I can't tell you the day I was saved, the exact day of the year, but there was a moment in time when I was born again. I've told you the story before. I'll take a second to tell it again. It was 1967. I was six years old. My parents had had me in church. Really, the, the first week I was born. Man, they didn't know that you're supposed to keep kids in for three months after they're born. But I mean, the first week I was born, I was at church and I was always in church every night. My dad would have a family devotion with us. He, he would read scripture. We would pray. Uh, I had been taught by Sunday school teachers. I had listened to sermons preached by my pastor because we didn't have kids' church back then and kids had to sit in the adult service and if I made any kind of noise, I got one of these by my dad. And it hurts. I'm so thankful we have kids' church today for, just for the sake of the ears of little kids, you know, honestly. I don't know the exact day, but it was in 1967. It was on a Sunday night. And I was seated with my parents three rows back. And my pastor, E.E. Zellers, a preaching machine, was preaching that night on hell. Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so hot in there, it's like he lifted the, the lid to hell, and I felt the flames. And he preached a long time. Man, Usually my sermons last 20, 25 minutes. That was his introduction. I mean, he had preached an hour at least, and you didn't get up and walk out, let me tell you. But at the end of that sermon, he gave the altar call, and I was the first one at the altar. Little six-year-old kid, tears streaming down my eyes, and he knelt beside me and he said, William, can I pray with you about something? And I said to him, Brother Zellers, I don't want to go to hell. And he said, you don't have to, son. And he shared with me the Romans Road plan of salvation. And right there, I invited Jesus Christ in my heart, and I was born again. Immediately, Jesus came into my heart. The act of salvation is sudden and instantaneous. It occurs when you trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins and save your soul. But while the act of salvation is instantaneous, the process that leads up to it is not. There is a period between conception and birth called gestation. For the human being, it's nine months. And ladies, it's a wonderful time, is it not? I don't think Angie ever wanted to kill me more during that, during that nine-month period than any other time in our married life. You know, But it, it can be a hard time, can it, ladies? 
Come on, ladies. If, if, it is. It's a tough time. Too bad you're not an opossum. Their gestation period is only 12 days. If a possum goes long term, it's 13 days. <laughs> not too bad, is it? You know, for an elephant, for a mama elephant, it is two years. Oh, my lands. No wonder mama elephants are so grumpy all the time, huh? Wow. Likewise, the gestation rate for the human soul varies from person to person. Some people are saved almost as soon as they hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's wonderful. Others may require years before the seed of the gospel produces the new birth in their heart. I read about this one man who was 113 years old when he was saved. That's pretty incredible, is it not? For Just to live to be 113 years old, huh? But what was even more amazing is the process that it took. At 113, he remembered a sermon he had heard at age 13. And a hundred years later, it produced the new birth. That is amazing, is it not? My, my point is this. Sometimes it takes a while. The seed has to be planted. The soil has to be cultivated in the human heart. That seed has to be watered. And if you have a family member, a loved one, that is not right with Jesus, don't give up hope on them. You keep praying for them. Ray and Charlotte Copeland found that out when, when Charlotte's daddy, uh, Charles Robbins, was saved at age 81 right here in this church and was baptized this morning at the 9 o'clock service. It can happen. Just don't give up hope. Point of comparison number two. The new birth provides new life and a new family with a new father. Just as birth is the beginning of life, New birth is the beginning of, and get this, eternal life. Eternal life. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In this new family, with a new father, we get to live forever. Oh, where's my Pentecostal friends? We get to live forever. Amen. Recently, doctors from the Harvard Stem Cell Institute have shown that injections of a protein that they have dubbed GDF-11 appears to cause a reversal of many signs of aging. Analysis showed that when injected into older, and get that older laboratory mice, every major organ system tested displayed signs of improvement, with the protein even appearing to reverse some of the DNA damage, which is synonymous with the aging process itself. Interesting. Well, here's what I know. Ever since Adam felt a, a twinge of rheumatism and Eve discovered her very first wrinkle, we've been looking for the fountain of youth. Haven't we? 
But the fact is, as soon as you were born, you started to age. And you know what? There is not a cotton-picking thing you can do about that. And you will come to a point where it just snowballs on you. <laughs> but get this. Church, listen to me. As soon as you are born again, you become ageless. Wow. We are born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have a new life in a new family with a new father. And we get to live forever. Well, my third point of comparison is this. The new birth imparts a new nature. This may be the main analogy between being born and being saved. The great Bible teacher Arthur Pink wrote, The new birth is the impartation of the new nature. When I was born the first time, I received from my parents their nature. So when I was born again, I received from God his nature. You see, everything is born with a particular nature that is imparted by the parents. A rabbit can't soar like an eagle because it's a rabbit. Rabbits can't fly. An eagle can't swim like a duck because it's not a duck. And a duck can't bark like a dog because it's not a dog. Every living creature takes the nature of its parents. And Genesis tells us that everything produces after its own kind. So as humans, we've taken on the sinful nature of Adam and Eve, our first parents. We were born with an inclination towards sin. That's why you don't have to teach kids to be naughty. It just comes natural, man. And if you don't believe that, you've, it's been a while since you signed up for We Worship. Or you've never raised a two-year-old. Tell me, why, why does a child go through a period known as the terrible twos? Well, it is because they are discovering their own self-assertive will and they are matching their self-assertive will against yours. I like, I like to say it like this. No one has to teach us how to scream, scheme, or steam. We just do it natural. huh? We do. But you see, when you're born again, you are given a new nature. Your heavenly Father implants His own nature. That is, His own character into your life by the Holy Spirit of God. A Christian, therefore, isn't just someone who is trying to trying harder to be a good person. He isn't someone who just goes to church and doesn't cuss or chew or go with girls who do. A Christian isn't just someone who is reformed or has religion or who has turned over a new leaf. No, no. A thousand times no. He is nothing less than a new creation with a new nature inside of Him. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That is awesome, man. That's awesome. But I want to do a quick time out with you, okay? Just a, a little a little parenthesis, a little pause, because we need to remember this and understand this. What this means is this. Every Christian, okay, every believer, no matter where you live, every Christian, no matter where you are on the face of this earth, and it doesn't matter in which time period you have lived, every believer has two natures living inside of them. Now, an unsaved person only has that sinful nature. Don't forget that. But a believer has two natures, the sinful nature and the new nature. One is our fallen human nature. The other is that spiritual nature that comes from God. And these two natures are contrary to each other. And they oppose each other. That's why the Apostle Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. And I will have to attest with something else the Apostle Paul said. I know the right thing to do. I mean, I do. I've been saved since I was six. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. But I'm a preacher. I know the right thing. You know what? Sometimes, just like Paul said, sometimes I want to do the wrong thing. When I was at Hillsdale, I had a professor named Thomas Mulberry, Dr. Mulberry, probably the greatest brain we have in Freeville Baptist. He wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians, and here's what, here's what Dr. Mulberry, I call him the Marb. Okay, here's what the Marb said. Listen. The flesh represents man's old nature, his natural desire to that which is evil and contrary to the will of God. Unfortunately, this sinful nature is not eradicated at salvation. The Christian must live in a lifelong battle with self and sin. The two natures in us thus lie in constant conflict with each other. And you say, okay, big deal, what's the point? Why do you keep talking about this? Well, here's the point. You have to starve the sinful nature and you have to feed the God nature. Every day we have to do that. And that leads me to my final point, number four. The new birth requires growth and nourishment. You see, every baby that is born comes out crying, don't they? Oh, man. <laughs> they don't have any idea, do they? But they're also hungry. Every baby born comes with a built-in appetite. What are they hungry for? Their mother's milk. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Therefore, like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, for a new Christian, it's only natural that they crave God. 
and that they crave the Word of God. And they need to be drinking the milk of the Word of God. That is, the elementary teachings of God's Word until they grow up to the point where they can eat the meat of the Word. Now, I, as, a, as a preacher, I do all kinds of stuff, but one of the things that, that I, I do is I try to help people, right? And I do a certain amount of pastoral counseling. Uh, I don't think I'm really good at it, and sometimes I kind of get frustrated with it, but you know what? That's... that's that's just the reason I get frustrated is usually when people come see me, it's, it's you know, they should have come a long time ago, right? You know? But, but anyway, that's just that's my problem, not yours. But anyway, sometimes in that role, I, I feel like that, that I'm kind of a, a physician for the soul. Now follow me here. What a medical doctor does for the body, I, I tried to do for the human heart. When you go and visit the doctor with a complaint, maybe, maybe there's, there's something wrong, you don't know what it is, you go to the doctor, he's going to talk to you about your lifestyle habits. He'll ask you, are you getting plenty of rest? Are you stressed out? Are you working too much? And sooner or later, that conversation is going to lead to your diet. He's going to ask you, are you eating too many fatty foods? And I say, it's none of your business, dude. He'll ask, are you consuming too much salt or sugar or cholesterol? He'll often tell you to begin eating healthier food. And here's the reason why. You can't maintain good health on a bad diet. Put it like it. You keep putting junk in, you're going to feel junky. I mean, that's just the way it is. You know what? I found the same thing is true for the heart. Most of the people who come to, to pastors for counseling are suffering. And I have discovered they are suffering in part from deficient diets. You cannot be spiritually healthy without a wholesome diet, daily diet of God's Word. You need a daily intake of the pure Word of God. In order to grow in God's family, you've got to spend time in God's Word. You grow from the milk to the meat. Now, all of this leads to a really important question. You know, in moments like this, I just wish it was me and you without all these other people around. So let's pretend it's just me and you. Here's what I would ask. If, if this new birth is an instantaneous event which gives new life and a new family with a new father and an unquenchable desire for the milk and meat of the Word of God, if that is true and we believe it is, my question is, are you absolutely, positively, 100% sure that you Taylor Smith was preaching one day in a great church in Europe. Guess what his text was? It's not that tough. John 3, 3, all right? Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In order to drive home the point, he said, My dear people, you do not substitute anything for the new birth. You may be a church member, but church membership is not new birth. And except a man is born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. He pointed to the archdeacon, that's the head deacon, who was seated in the archdeacon's pew, at his own pew. Some of you think you had your own pew. You really anyway, that's another sermon, all right? Anyway, this, this deacon was seated in his pew. And he said, you might even be a deacon like my friend sitting here in his pew and not be born again. And except a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. A few days later, he received a letter from the archdeacon. He wrote, My dear brother Smith, you have found me out. I have been a church leader for 30 years, but knew nothing of the joy that other Christians talked about. I couldn't understand it. I didn't know what was wrong in my heart. But when you pointed at me, I realized in a moment what the problem was. I had never been born again. Have you? I told you the story, but years ago I was pastoring another church in a different city in Arkansas. One Sunday morning I preached an evangelistic sermon about being saved. And that Sunday night, right before church started, I was in my office getting things ready to go out and preach again, and there was a knock on my door. When I opened, there was, there was a, a man from my church standing there. Um, he had been a member of that church for over 40 years. He was now probably close to 70 years old. He had raised his family in that church. His, his sons went to the church with their family and their kids. I didn't know what was wrong. I could tell he was bothered by something. And generally, Gary, generally in Pine Bluff, when people were bothered by something, it wasn't a good thing. So anyway, I was kind of worried about what was going to happen. But I invited him in my office and he sat down. And immediately he started crying. He said, Brother Will, this morning I realized I wasn't saved. I've been going to this church for 40 years. I, I even led the music in the church years ago. But I realized today my heart wasn't right with God. I said, well, friend, we can fix that. And we knelt down right there in front of my desk and I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. And he was born again. Why, Mr. Whitfield? Why do you so often preach on you must be born again? Because what Lord said because you must be born again. And ladies and gentlemen, today you can be born again. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit the fact that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus can save you. And C, confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've never done that, I invite you to receive Christ as your Savior right now. Again, it's simple. That's the way God made it, simple.
A child can do it. You can do it. So if God has spoken to your heart today and, and has told you, you must be born again, and you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you simply pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I now confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. And friend, if you prayed that prayer and meant it with all your heart, you have just become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Behold, all things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. 